So as we look at the book of Job, and as we've been doing in the last several months, we really are building a theology. We're really building an understanding of, of suffering, of human suffering, um, and how we can respond to it through, through these wisdom lessons that we've been learning through this book. I want you to um, open with me to, to back to the book of Job if you're not there. It's page 519 if you're borrowing a Bible. And I want you to put your eyes on the text in chapter 3. And if you look at it, you'll probably notice it looks a little bit different from chapters 1 and 2. J- just the, the text itself. Uh, it's set in block letters. And, and what that means is that this is poetry. Job's lament is written in poetry. Poetry is language of emotion. It's language of the heart. Poetry is meant to make you feel what you read. It's meant to engage your emotions, not just your mind. And this is why, interestingly, about 95% of the book of Job is written in poetry. The book of Job is meant, it's meant to make you feel the suffering and anguish uh, that he went through. Your emotions are to be engaged when you read this book. You're supposed to feel something. Job is a book you're meant to feel as you read through it, especially as we get into chapter 3 on through the remainders of the chapter until the very end of the book. You see, when you and I suffer, when suffering strikes us in this life, there are usually two predominant emotions that we feel. We usually feel, and there are other emotions that we feel, but two predominant emotions that come to the surface during suffering is loneliness and lament. Loneliness and lament. In both emotions, Job felt very, very keenly. Job felt a great deal. The book of Job gives us It gives us here in this chapter, it gives us wisdom lessons on life. And particularly today in chapter 3, we want to look look at what the Bible teaches us about emotions, our emotions and suffering. So let's look at four lessons on emotion and suffering this morning in this chapter. Number one, lesson number one, is this. Suffering, oftentimes suffering produces feelings of loneliness. We can't miss this. We can't overlook this. The feelings of loneliness that Job experienced in his suffering. All we have to do is listen to his words. 
And what I want to do is I want to look at a slice of his words, not directly from this text right now, but we're going to look at some words written later on in the book. Job is reflecting here upon what had happened to him and all the suffering that he dealt with. And I want you to notice what he says in Job chapter 19, verse 13. So turn over there with me real quick. Job chapter 19, verse 13. Job is speaking here, and here is what he says. Job chapter 19, verse 13, he says, He, that is God, listen to these words, God has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call to my servant, but he does not answer. I have to implore him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. And I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. I rise up and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me, and those I love have turned against me. Job, Job was feeling really, really alone. And it's not only people that he feels estranged from. It's not just people, it's actually God himself. Job, Job did not feel so much that God had ruined his life, but that God had abandoned him. Listen to what Job says in chapter 29. Turn over there. Just 10 chapters later, Job 29 verse 2. Job 29, verse 2. Here's Job's words again, and he says in chapter 29, verse 2, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. It's gone now, he says. When his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through the darkness. As I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Now Job says it's, it's gone. It's all gone. Job feels that God's presence is gone. It's gone. It's been taken from his life. Now you can turn back to chapter 3. And here's where this comes to us. So often in our suffering, we feel alone. Even with people around us suffering. And the darkness that suffering brings tends to make us feel alone. And this, this, this 
feeling of being alone is only just typified. It's, it's manifest when we say things like, but you really don't understand what I'm going through. All alone. No one understands me. No one can completely sympathize with what I'm going through. I am alone. With Job, however, I want to point out, I want to point out that it was not initially loneliness that Job felt. It was not initial loneliness. The words I read to you from Job 19 and 29 occur later on in the book. They occur after his friends come to him and after his friends open their mouths. And that's when everything goes downhill. But initially, initially when Job was struck with all of this suffering, we see his friends do the right thing. They come around him to sympathize and comfort him. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each one of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. What Job's three friends offered Job was the ministry of presence. And this leads to our second lesson, lesson number two. One of the best things that you can do for someone suffering is offer your presence. The ministry of presence. How many of you, how often do you think of presence as a ministry? I marvel. I just marvel because I know I would not be among Job's three friends. I marvel that Job's friends, as the text says, sat with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word. I would have been right to the chopping bit. This is what's going on, brother. (laughs) It's not what they did. They offered the ministry of presence. They sat with him to comfort him because they saw that his pain was great. Loneliness, loneliness is a major problem. 
And the irony is, is that with all of our connections in our modern world, there has never been a time when people have felt so alone. Studies show it. You just have to read the studies. And the pandemic has only made loneliness worse. Especially in those early days where we had the lockdown and quarantine from another, one another. One of my best friends, they got COVID and they described how they felt having to quarantine for 10 days and they described it as almost like they were going to go crazy for having to self-isolate for 10 days, just 10 days. And they were going to go crazy. Now we know a little bit about why solitary confinement is such a brutal form of punishment. It is. You see, suffering is hard. Suffering alone is harder. Or let me put it like this. To put it more boldly, suffering is hard. Suffering alone is hell on earth. Suffering, writes one person, listen to this, this is so good. Suffering is not a question that requires an answer. Suffering is not a problem that requires a solution. Suffering is a mystery that requires a presence. Think about it like this. The Lord established his presence among his people. That's what was happening from the very beginning. His presence was among Adam and Eve. And because of their sin, they were expelled from the garden. They were removed from the presence of God. But in the early days of wandering in the wilderness, you know what God did? He established his presence. He established the tabernacle so that he could be in the midst of his people. And this principle of presence is continued with the construction of the temple in Jerusalem, a place where he would dwell among his people. And of course, you know the principle continues when the Son of God comes into the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came and dwelt. He tabernacled among us, John says in chapter 1. And now, now we have the continual indwelling of the Holy Spirit's presence. I mean, the ministry of presence is a major theme throughout the Bible. Listen, don't despise the ministry of presence. When you are with someone in their suffering, your presence means sometimes more than words can say. Ever say. When a friend or family member is suffering, I know you feel this. I feel this. We want to say something. Don't feel like you have to say something. Just be there with them. As Romans 12, 15 beautifully puts it, what does it say? Weep with those who weep. 
weep with those who weep. Now, the ministry of presence, though it's important, it, it's not going to automatically fix someone in their suffering. We know that. We recognize that. It helps a great deal. Job's friends' presence, though helpful for seven days, it had its limits. The end of chapter 2 says that Job's pain was very great. And it was after the seven days that Job expressed this deep lament for his suffering. Up until now in the book of Job, we're sort of looking at him. Now we see inside of him. We see his heart in chapter 3. I want to read this to you again, and I want you to hear these words again in light of what I've just said and in light of what I will say. Here's Job's heart. Job chapter 3, verse 1. After Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth, and Job said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor light shine it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come in the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light but have none, and let it not see the breaking dawn, because it does not shut the opening of a mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, and why the breasts that I should suck? For now I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest with kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or at the princes who had gold who were filling their houses with silver or like a miscarriage which is discarded. I would not be as infants that never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who suffers? And life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in. For my groaning comes at the sight of my food. 
and my cries pour out like water for what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. Wow. I mean, a lot of this language is hard to understand, but you get the point. Job is really, really suffering. And here's where I want us to have a third lesson that God is teaching us here. Emotions, particularly lament, are not in itself sinful. Emotions, particularly lament, but emotions in and of themselves are not sinful. What I find particularly instructive for us in Job's lament is that none of it is regarded as sinful. In fact, we know from chapters 1 and 2 that Job did not sin, nor did he blame God, even though, even though we see Job in chapter 1, he's tearing his robe and he's shaving his head. And we don't do that anymore today, but those are just signs of intense grief and mourning. And even if you go to the end of the book, the end of the book of Job confirms that Job spoke of God what is right. What Job did do, as verse 1 of chapter 3 says, is that he cursed the day of his birth. Listen carefully. He did not curse God. He did not curse himself. Job laments three things which really form three separate units in chapter 3. Number one, he is wishing he had never been born or conceived. Verses 3 through 10. Wishing he had never been born or conceived. And then he sort of wishes, secondly, that well, I've been conceived. I was born. He wishes in the second part that he had died in the womb. Verses 11 through 19. And then finally, in this last section in chapter 3, he wishes that those who suffer might die quickly. I don't want anyone to experience what I have gone through, essentially, is what he's saying. Now, with these three words and expressing this lament, Job certainly asks a lot of why, which is what we typically do. I mean, look at it. Verse 11, why? Verse 12, why? Verse 20, why? But, listen carefully, he is not angry with indignation toward God. Neither is Job complaining here. He's not complaining. Lament is not complaining. What's the difference? The difference between lament and complaining is this. And one author put this very well. He says, lament is crying for God. Complaining is crying against God. 
That's the difference. Job did not sin. He's crying for God. We saw in chapter 29, he feels that God has abandoned him. Emotions, the emotions of suffering, lament, sorrow, sadness, grief, groaning, weeping, sobbing are not necessarily sinful, nor, nor do they represent a lack of faith. Unfortunately, you and I, we try to numb the feelings of pain. That's what we do. We numb our own pain and we numb the pain of others, especially when we say things like this. Don't listen to your feelings. Don't be guided by your feelings. Now, there is some truth to those statements. Your feelings don't override the truth. And your feelings, your emotions, should not dictate your walk with God. But in fear of emotionalism... Emotionalism, the other extreme where fact and faith are interpreted through emotions, where emotions rule the day, we run to the other extreme of squashing, ignoring, or numbing our emotions. And that's not biblical either. Neither extreme is biblical. Your emotions are important. Your emotions are are designed and given as a gift by God. And so when you suffer, when you have personal suffering, when you experience the suffering of others that you love, the solution is not to suppress your emotions and become stoic and put on, as we say, the stiff upper lip. And... I want to say the solution is not to play the God is sovereign trump card. Yes, yes, as I said in part two of this series, God is sovereign over all the suffering in your life, and this does bring comfort. But the point is that we're not to use that to become Mr. Spock and reject how we feel. I mean, can you, can you sense, can you feel what Job was going through here? I mean, not to his degree, not in particulars, can you sympathize with the man? I mean, let, let me remind you of his physical suffering. Descriptions that I pulled from the book of Job. And I'll give you these references. He had, in chapter 21, verse 6, in chapter 30, verse 30, he had fever with chills. In chapter 30, verse 30, he also had darkening and shriveling of the skin. 
This is all descriptions from the book. He had red eyes swollen from weeping in chapter 16, verse 16. He had diarrhea in chapter 30, verse 27. He had sleeplessness and delirium in chapter 7, verse 4, and verses 13 through 14 of chapter 7. He had bad breath. Chapter 19, verse 17. He was emaciated. Chapter 19, verse 20. He had excoriating pain throughout his entire body. Chapter 30, verse 17. I mean, I feel sorry for Job. I feel sorry for him. As one commentator says, Job's skin is festering and his nerves are on fire. Have you ever been there? We all have. We've all been where Job was. You you may be there right now in your life. It's okay to mourn and cry and grieve. As I said before, happy, clappy, paste a smile on your face. Christianity is not real, nor is it what God expects. The Lord's testing of Job, writes one commentator, is not to find out if Job can sit unmoved like a block of wood. Instead of sitting unmoved like a piece of wood, by suppressing your emotions, What should you do? You should, here is the answer, you should evaluate them. Here are three questions that I think are so helpful that you can ask yourself. Number one, what emotions are you feeling? That's pretty obvious. Sometimes you need someone to help you with that. Especially you need help sometimes with two and three. Number two, why are you feeling this way? And number three, what do your emotions tell you about where your heart is at? You see, your emotions reveal where your heart is. Your emotions tell you what is happening inside. As Paul Tripp says in his excellent book on suffering, he says, quote, your suffering is more powerfully shaped by what's in your heart than by what's in your body or in the world around you. So use your emotions to evaluate where your heart is. And allow your emotions to draw you to God in lament and in praise. Lament and praise, grief and worship, they're not opposites. In a strange way, they go together. Lament and grief is not a sign of unbelief and complaint. Lament is actually what God designed. Job did both. He lamented and he worshiped. At the same time, Job worshiped in his grief, not despite his grief. So, how can you strike this balance without sin? That's a good question. And that's what you're going to take up in your grace groups this afternoon and on Wednesday. <laughs> Wrestling through these issues. 
wrestling through this balance. Job, Job, nevertheless, he is, in, and I think you get this by now, he is in a seemingly hopeless situation. We know the end of the story, but we can't, we have to realize Job doesn't see the end. We've got to sort of put ourselves in his shoes. He was in a hopeless situation. And that may, friends, that may be where you find yourself today. I don't know. You may feel very, very hopeless right now. And here is the thing. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in a hopeless position. Why? Because of the gospel. It's because of Jesus. There is hope in your suffering. And that's what we learn in our final fourth lesson. Loneliness, lesson number four, loneliness and lament is experienced by Jesus, so you will one day be delivered from both emotions. Maybe I'll repeat that if you like to take notes, trying to write that down feverishly. Loneliness and lament is experienced by Jesus, so you will one day be delivered from both emotions. You see, as Christians, we read Job through the Jesus lens. We must, we must see Jesus in Job. And what do we see? We see Jesus himself experienced loneliness and lament. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, when his friend had died, you know that story well, Jesus doesn't come and say, don't weep, Mary, look what I'm about to do. No, what do we see happen? Jesus wept. And a little while later, while he was with his three three friends, his three friends, Jesus begged them to stay and pray. What did they do? They fell asleep. That's what I would have done. They fell asleep. And Jesus prayed And he wept alone. Can't you stay with me? He says. He was alone. And during his most intense suffering, when on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we understand Jesus' abandonment on the cross These words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We understand that it doesn't mean, number one, that the Trinity did not somehow cease to exist in that moment. It was sort of broken. It was sort of shattered. It doesn't mean, number two, that the Father ceased to love the Son on the cross. And number three, it it doesn't mean that Jesus lost his faith in his Father. It doesn't mean any of that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We understand Jesus' abandonment meant that on the cross, Jesus was bearing the sins of his people so that the Father in that moment, he could not look on Jesus. And in that sense, as the old hymn puts it, he bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and died 
alone. Jesus suffered. He suffered the brunt of the Father's wrath for sinners like you and like me. He, in fact, he, he, he experienced loneliness like Job or like you and I will never experience to the degree Jesus experienced. He cried out in lament, quoting Psalm 22. And he did this so that your mourning would be turned into joy. He was forsaken so that he will never forsake or abandon us. Hebrews 13.5. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus, you see, he not only sympathizes with us, he knows, he knows the range of emotions we experience, especially loneliness and lament. But listen, he experiences these emotions. He experiences loneliness and lament so that our emotions, these emotions that we have, this loneliness and lament that we bring with us that is the result of our suffering, it will one day be removed from us. It's no wonder that Revelation says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. In heaven, we will never experience loneliness and lament again. This is the hope that Job's lament points to. This is our hope as believers. Amen?